everybody, welcome to The Carol Connection. I am your host, Jared Carroll, here to bring you guys another great episode. I want to take a chance to shout out last week's episode, episode 106 with Lucia. Uh, she came on the podcast, talked about her brand, Lavender Logos, uh, which is basically graphic designing, and she also promotes small businesses. It was a great podcast, talked about her family dynamic, growing up with seven siblings, which was crazy, and she grew up in New York, so we talked about her coming to school in Rhode Island, what that was like, and it was just a fantastic podcast. You can check it out at thecarolconnection.simplecast.com. Also available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. So today, for episode 107, Marina, Iman. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the me. podcast. I'm glad that you could do this. And you've been on my list for a while to get on the podcast, so I'm happy to have you here. And we'll dive into a bunch of great topics. So awesome. I like to lead, um, just kind of let everyone know who you are and what you're doing currently. All right. So I obviously, like you said, am Marina. Um, I am a kindergarten teacher in New Bedford. And yeah, <laughs> I run a small business. Yeah, that's keep a pr- pretty, pretty big thing. Just keep <laughs> it just out. a small business. Like <laughs> small we'll keep that low key. It's a fantastic small business. And we'll talk about that as we Thank get you. later into the podcast. Um, so like I mentioned, I like to start with family dynamic to kind of lay down the foundation of the podcast so we can build upon that. And allows the audience to kind of get a feel for how you grew up. And a lot of people can relate to this aspect. Uh, family is such an important aspect to me. I mean, the last name of the Carol Connection is my last name. So it's the podcast. So something super valued to me. So I'll let you kind of take the floor with that, whatever you're comfortable with. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I grew up with, obviously, my mom and dad, who are still together, and my little brother. That's all of us, the four of us. Um Lived in Bristol, Rhode Island until I was about five, I want to say, um, and then moved to Seekonk and have been in the same house since one of my 27, so yeah. <laughs> been in the same house since then. So And that's awesome, and I, I, I can relate a lot to that, like coming from parents still together, and I like to talk about this because I like to use the word even family dynamic because families are dynamic, and every family is different. And it allows me to kind of see, like, I never was a psychology major or anything like that, but I'm so curious because a lot of the stuff that happens in our childhood does stem and flow into our adulthood, and especially even those teenage years as well. And when I talk to people, it's always interesting to see the adversity that come through if they were raised by their grandparents or a single parent, or I like to say even like myself, it's a privilege to have both parents still together, and especially in a time where people are not staying together anymore. And it's like, it it kind of feels encouraged to almost like break apart the family. And I don't know if it's purposeful and I mean, going down this conspiracy rabbit hole, but like, (laughs) I think it's awesome that your family's together and you're moving forward and then coming to Seekonk. I think that was really all, and I definitely want to get Tanner on the podcast at some I know, point. I was thinking you should. Yeah, I, I literally like because I know he's super into fitness, and I love talking to people about fitness. So maybe we can we can link that up in the in the <laughs> in the future. Uh, I want to transition a little bit into kind of like the childhood, and then like sports because I know sports was such a big thing to you and myself as well. So 
kind of let the audience know what kind of sports you were into and kind of how that transition and maybe some even the life lessons learned through sports. Yeah. So um, adding on to like the family dynamics, yeah. sports have always been huge in my family. My mom played sports. My dad played sports. Um, so the first sport that I like ever wanted to get into was softball. I think that's because my dad played baseball his whole life. Um, so like wanting him to be my coach and everything like that. Um, I played soccer when I was little. I was not a fan. I actually would hide in the goalie net. <laughs> so that didn't last long. Um, yeah, I just like my parents always wanted me to just try everything. Um, except gymnastics. I'm still a little upset with my mother that she didn't put me in gymnastics. I feel like I could have been good at it, but, um, yeah, softball, soccer, basketball. Also I was not good at basketball. Shoot shot in the wrong hoop once. That was the last <laughs> oh time I ever God. played. Um, but yeah, did dance, but nothing really stuck and stuck until I was in high school. But, um, no, I think growing up with like sports being a huge part of my family, like my brother playing sports, like come home from school and it'd be like, okay, grab your backpack, get in the car, grab a snack. Like we're going to softball, we're going to baseball, we're going to basketball, we're going here, we're going there. Like doing homework at Tanner's baseball practices and everything growing up, like just always taught me to like kind of not stay still. Like now, obviously I'm always doing something, always moving. So busy. Um, but yeah, like just to keep yourself busy for keep yourself moving, stay healthy. Yeah. I think that's a huge uh, point to hit on, especially with sports. And I think a lot of people now, especially with this youth coming up, obviously COVID derailed a lot of people and especially the youth playing sports, you're not supposed to con be in contact. And I think we're going to see the ramifications of that Absolutely. as we keep progressing forward. And obviously even when we talk, you're a teacher. So we'll talk about that probably a little bit later in the podcast. Obviously we're focusing on the sport aspect. I think one of the best things that my dad and mom ever did was get me involved in sports. And Obviously, having a sibling, it helps you kind of already develop a little bit of those communication skills, how to kind of build, like, your sibling's your first friend, realistically. Yeah. And having that dynamic is always so important, because, like, I've had people who are only children, and I usually ask, like, was it difficult making friends? Like, did you have cousins that came into the picture? Like, where did it, where did it start for you? And I noticed... This is just an observation that people who have siblings usually have an easier time integrating in stuff like sports because they have those relationships already like kind of pre-assembled. And I think sports are super valuable, especially in the time where I think people need to be encouraged to be healthy. And I think sports are a way to move the body and keep us active. And I don't think we're supposed to be sitting at desks doing work or <laughs> yeah. whether it's just being a student all day, like every day or going home and doing homework all day, every all, all night you need to be moving the body. Yeah. And I think that's missing in a lot of, especially a lot of children growing up is like, they're not moving their body. Obviously you have social media, you have video games. Like there's a lot of stimulants out there to kind of distract yeah. from going outside. I mean, I remember growing up just like being able to ride my bike and go see my neighbors and like play yeah. outside and have fun. And I feel like you don't really see that as much anymore. And it, it is kind of a depressing thing to to at least see and witness. Out of the sports that you pick, what well, you played kind of early on, 
obviously we'll get into like field hockey and stuff like prior to that, which one was like your favorite one to participate in? I would have to say softball was my. And why softball? Um, I think it was because I like would be able to play in the backyard with my dad and my brother since Tanner played baseball. And it was just like my mom played softball too when she was younger. So it was like a family thing, obviously like. You know, I'm big on my family. So being able to like after dinner in the summer, like, oh, grab the ball, like grab your glove, grab your ball. Like, let's just hang out in the backyard. Like I can remember so many times my brother and I would just like be like throwing shoes as like pretend bases out in the backyard and just like pretend practicing, playing. So I would definitely have to say softball. I played it. Oh, my God. From like T-ball till like I went to college and I was going to play in college, but. I don't know why I would regret that I didn't do it now, but (laughs) (laughs) we could dive into that a little bit too, like in a second, the decision kind of like to not do that. Um, I think softball and baseball, obviously interchangeable realistically that it's such a unique sport because boys and girls can play together. And I think it's such a, it's because obviously you throw football, you can't play with football and soccer and stuff, but obviously they separate, especially at the younger ages, but like, when you have, um, in your case, like it's just you and your brother to be able to go play catch together. That's something that's like you guys can bond and and do together. And I think that's super valuable. And I would say baseball was, I think, yeah, baseball was like the first sport that I kind of fell in love with too. And like, I loved football. I I learned to love football. I jokingly, um, I forget what grade it was. I wrote in um, some type of fucking like piece of like schoolwork that I wanted (laughs) to play football. And I didn't, I really didn't. And I think I that my dad found it. He's like, all right, we'll sign you up for football. I was like, I cried. I was like, no, like I don't want to play. And then end up being like my favorite sport. And I'm glad that he did that. I'm glad that my dad pushed me. And he was a, my dad was a coach for a lot of my sports. I don't know yeah. if your dad helped coach yeah. or any, any things. Um, and if he did, like, could you like elaborate on like the, the value of that? Cause I, at least I noticed having my dad as a coach pushed me some, I mean, in the moment, I hated it. Obviously, yeah. like it's just, like he pushed me harder. But in the grand scheme of things, when I look back on on those moments, it's like we got to share moments together. And yeah. like looking retrospectively, um, I'm definitely in a retrospectively mindset today. Um, as I told you, and I'll tell the audience, um, my dog passed today, uh, 14 years. So, if you guys do have dogs and you're listening, please hug your dogs a little bit tighter <laughs> today. Um, but time goes by so fast. And like, yeah. that's something that I kind of like, you always know, like everyone says it, yeah. but like you kind of forget when you're going through the day-to-day motions. Yeah. So like having your dad there to help you coach, I'm assuming there was a lot of value that you found in that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he definitely like would always push me, like whether I would be tired and like picking dandelions in the outfield, like he'd be like, get it together, (laughs) knock it off. But I think it's like, we created a bond. Like I like hit a good hit. He would like tap me when I was coming in, like just like driving to the field, play, like practicing together. It was just, it felt special to have my dad be like one of the coaches I could be like, Oh, like, did you see that? Or like come in and be like, how could I done that better? And just, I don't know. It was like special. And like, like you said, retrospect, like looking back, I'm like, so glad that. Yeah. I, had I, th- that. I don't think a lot of people 
think about that. Like obviously in the moment, especially in my teenage years, I was an asshole. Like, <laughs> like, like my dad yells at me for missing a ground ball. I'm just like, shut up. Like, yeah. let me just like, <laughs> let me just play. And like, you, I, I'm a better person for having my dad as a coach for sure. Because I think one of the things that are missing in like our society right now is accountability. And I think one of the things that, especially at least my dad kind of instilled with me is like, you have to like be accountable for the things that you sign up for. Like if you're going to do this, you're going to do it all the way through. And if you want to do it later, that's fine. But you're going to do this now because this is what you signed up to do. That's exactly how my dad was too. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's important. And I think that's why having, um, two parents, it doesn't, I don't really care whether it's male or female or male or male, uh, male and female, I don't think it really matters. I just having two parents, I think a lot of the data will even show this. If you look up the studies that two parent households do raise a lot more, it puts your children in a better chance for success. Yeah. And I think that's super important. And I'm glad you experienced something similar growing up where your dad was part of your, your sports career. And I think that's super valuable. I want to start to kind of transition into like the high school part too, where you found field hockey because at least in our town I don't think they offered field hockey growing up no field hockey growing up yeah no I I knew you're gonna ask this question and honestly (laughs) like starting so I did I didn't like say swim professionally I did not swim professionally but like swim like during the summer at the high school and I remember when I went to go hand the athletic director like the paper that said hey I'm gonna play this in the fall he literally was like no you're not like I've been watching you swim all summer like you're gonna do girl girl swim and I was like no I don't want to swim I want to play field hockey this seems like a cool thing had no idea I didn't know what it's like what the stick looked like didn't know how hard the ball was didn't know any of it I just like I chose it completely blind didn't know anybody that played field hockey before Handed it in. My mom and I went to Dick's and I was like, there's a good feel like sick. Let's take that. Got all the equipment. And then that was it. And I obviously playing football. You guys practice like right next to us. Like I've never, you guys ran like a track team. Like that was <laughs> like the amount of running that you guys would do is like super impressive. And I was like, that is like, that's a hard ass sport to play. And like that ball is so hard so to hard. like, Talk to me a little bit about like kind of learning the skills to play field hockey. Cause I mean, it, it realistically it's, it's field hockey. So like yeah. you're playing hockey on a field. So like, did you have any experience? Like whether it's maybe watching hockey or playing some type of hockey, like how did you like, cause it's, it seems like a kind of like, cause can't you like with the stick, like you have to keep it a certain way too, yeah. with the ball on it. So like, yeah. there seems like there's a lot of rules to kind there of learn. Are so many rules. And I think like makes me laugh. Like thinking about when I played in college, like, how my dad used to coach me in softball. Like he had nothing to say when I played in college because he was like, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get it. I've been watching you play for five years. I don't get it. Um, There are so many rules in field hockey. It's not even funny. The whistle like would blow every five seconds, but I don't know. It's just something that came naturally, which is wild to think about because it's such a crazy sport and it is like hockey. I did like grow up watching like the Bruins play. Like my grandfather loved watching hockey. My whole family loves watching hockey. Um, but no, I don't think I picked it because it was like, I'm going to be like playing hockey. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely hard to learn, but yeah, something about it just, it's true too. It just was made worth sense. it. Yeah. And 
you were captain, correct? I was, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that experience. Is I was captain my senior year, and there's this kind of this, like, it's not like we're, we're living old glory memories. It's going down <laughs> like the memory it. lane. Like, I do too. I, I don't like to admit it, glory but, like, I, I, I feel this is, like, reminiscing <laughs> for me. But I want to, like, kind of pick your brain, too, a little bit about being put in, like, a leadership position, like, early, like, obviously, you're a senior in high school, trying to figure this stuff out and, like, try to lead other girls on the team and like how difficult that is to lead people in general and like to learn these skills. So like maybe some of like the obstacles that you had to overcome being a captain and being put in like a leadership position. Yeah. I think I like ever since my freshman year, like there was a couple of us that were like, when we're seniors, like we're going to be captains, like we're going to be captains. And we had always, obviously like when you're young, little baby in high school, you look up to the captains of whatever sports team you play. Like I still remember who were the captains my freshman year and just like the environment that they created. And like, it's like, makes me laugh thinking back, but we're like, this is sisterhood. It's a sisterhood. But even like when I coached field hockey, like it was the same exact thing. So I think when I like became captain, I couldn't wait to make, I remember my junior year, I like, didn't like field hockey. It was really clicky. And I was like, this isn't how I want it to be. So when I got captain senior year, I was like so excited to like make it how it was when I was a freshman, like include all the girls. Um, So there obviously were challenges with like girls, like not showing up to practice and like going (laughs) to do other things and just like not really caring and we were so close to making it to the championship that year that it just like obviously would be frustrating to anybody when people are like half-assing anything. So that was a huge challenge. But at the end of the day, it was like, this is my senior year. Like I want to play with the girls who want to play. And if you don't want to be here, then that's on you. And my coaches kind of felt the same way. I was like, the girls that want to be here are the ones that are going to want to play. And if you have other things you want to do, then this isn't a priority. And it's feel like that goes back to family dynamics, like parents being like, nope, you signed up for this. You're going to do it. And that was instilled for me from a very young age. So it was like practice. We got double sessions. All right, here we go. Like hyping up the girls to be there. So I think sports are an amplifier of the family dynamic for sure. And like, especially even growing up, like playing like, pop warner and like those sports like you could tell whose parents were really involved and who really disciplined them because like if they're not willing to do the laps or they're not responding to a coach like you can only imagine what they're like with their own with their own family if they're not respecting people hate this word authority but i mean you got to respect the coach as the authority figure on the team respect is earned not given yeah so like I think that all stems back from the, the that dynamic. And man, do I relate to you on people not showing up to practice, not putting in their effort? Like, it was so frustrating as being a captain because, like, my, one of my co-captains who was a senior at the time, he became injured, and he was the guy that a lot of people looked up to on my team. And when he went down, it was me. And then we had a new head coach at the time, Shelby Vernon Crawford. And when he came in, he tried to instill a new culture. And I knew that it was probably going to flop for us because, like, we were raised on, like, a certain type of offense, certain type of culture. Yeah. 
And it's a hard for people. People don't like change, period. Yeah. So to come in, to bring in a new style, I liked it. I loved the concept. It was like the spread them out, throw the ball, like totally different than what we did, which was just run, 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 run. And I was like, this is totally different pace. And I liked that. And when he came in, he made a two seniors captain, which is myself and my other captain. And then he picked a junior and a sophomore. Shook up everything. Yeah. Like people were not happy because it was different. Nobody likes different, but he picked the captains based on who showed up, who was in the weight room in the summers, who was showing up to the summer practices, who was showing up like beforehand. And if you showed up to work hard, you got the position. Like yeah. you're the captain. And I was in the weight room. I was there. So I saw those people working and as much as people didn't think they deserved it, they worked for it. Like, yeah. and obviously like people throw the variables. Well, I have a summer job. I play baseball. Like I do all these, like I get it. You're yeah. living your life, but like you got to look at from a coach's perspective, like who's fully invested in this, yeah. who really wants to be here, who wants to win. And I don't think people fully understand it. I think it's like a privilege thing almost where it's like, they think they're entitled to be a captain because they're a senior yeah. because of tradition. But just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. And I think that we're even seeing that in our society as whole, like just because things are traditionally sound doesn't mean they're, they're optimal yeah. for going forward. And I think that's a huge barrier that we're breaking and breaking stereotypes. And even like talking about mental health, I think it's a huge stereotype that was really like growing up. Like you didn't talk about mental health. Like it wasn't yeah. really a thing. Like it was yeah. just like, like you're feeling sad. We'll suck it up. Like we'll just keep going. Like it's yeah. not a big thing. And like now it's like, more acceptable. We're talking about it more. It's still, still not there, but like we're making strides and I think it's super important and it all ties to the sport aspect, especially leading people and just trying to get people to commit and be there and show up. I think that's yeah. like, it's a hard aspect. Um, you mentioned coaching. So talk to me a little bit about the transition to coaching for a little bit, and then we can start getting into kind of college and go down that route. But like, yeah, the difference right there. Um, <laughs> um coaching was very different than what I thought it was going to be. Um I coached at a very different school than where we went. Um very different dynamic. Um I loved it my first year. It was like I wasn't ready to like put the stick away after graduating. I was like, wanted to create like the sisterhood at more schools. So I coached at Fian and they didn't have a hockey team before I got there. So our first year was a club team and I had 77 girls try out oh, wow. for the club team. And it was like, first time ever being a coach, like just graduated weeks ago. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> well, we have 40 uniforms. So like, that's what you have to make happen. Um, and then within one year it became like a varsity JV team. Um, I only did it for three years, a little bitter <laughs> about that. Um, but it's definitely like, I can see like the shift in the generations, like from when we played high school sports to how it is now in certain schools and you thought it was clicking when we were in school i can only imagine yes (laughs) Yes. um and like how my parents always told me like your coach tells you to do something like you're not questioning it like they tell you you're gonna go play catcher like and you've never played it in your life you're gonna play it like 
don't ask a coach when you're going to go play. Like that's your coach, respect the authority. Like, and it was just, there was none of that (laughs) when I coached, which was not what I thought it was going to be. So it was good, but ultimately not what I wanted to be doing, but I loved coaching when it was fun, but it quickly turned into being a very, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> probably a lot of politics involved oh, into it. Yeah. And that was politics probably- who pays the most. Yeah. I mean, you're going to a private school. I mean, they yeah. want to see their kids play. Like they're going to start th- talking about money and like, yep. I do this, I pay this. I want to see my kid play. And yeah. it's like, you see that even like, I remember, um, I got into like, uh, AAU baseball type stuff. And like, I literally ultimately quit. Cause like it, it just became whose parent was paying the most money, yeah. who was the closest to the coach. Like, and it sucks that sports are transitioning towards that space yeah. where parents are really inserting themselves. And like, it's not so much about who's the best player. It's whose parent has the best relationship, who has yeah. the who's most donating the most. To the yeah. Sport. And it's, and it, that's, <laughs> I mean, kudos to you for start helping start the program, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, you played a huge role in that. Clearly, I mean, if they had nothing and you go there, and obviously, I don't know the the background to get that started. I mean, I can imagine that was kind of pretty difficult to yeah. to get into that position. Um, that, that is that is like a lot to be proud of, though. I mean, to go into especially a school like Fien, where Fien is like very well known for a lot of their yeah. their sports and their athletics, being a private school, to go in there. Was it was it like something that it was presented to you at the time, or just something? Did you get? Did you kind of approach me? Because obviously you're from Seekonk, so like it seems I had, interesting. I had heard that they were um, heard from a parent, like a family friend, that they were trying to start a Philadelphia club team just to like gauge interest. And I like immediately reached out to the AD. I had my college coach write me a letter of recommendation, and like I went and like the 80 was the sweetest man. He was like 85 years old. Like <laughs> he's like, I don't know what this Phil Lockie is. Um, and he set it up. He's like, yeah, it's yours. And he was like, all right, we're going to meet in this classroom. And we had to move to the auditorium because of how many girls showed up to like gauge the interest. <laughs> so, um, but no, it was, you're right. It is like looking back, thinking that like I did get a sport started there is pretty awesome. And now, like, yeah, you helped create a culture, and like obviously, you build a culture, and then obviously when new coaches come in, things are going to change. Yeah. I mean, that's just inevitable. Change is inevitable. So I mean, things aren't meant to last forever, and yeah. that's something that is a good thing at the same time, and it allows you to chase different endeavors. And yeah. we're obviously going to transition into that that stuff as we go. But I want to talk a little bit about now kind of flipping a little bit back. So obviously coaching was post-college, correct? So going to college, um, everyone's favorite question, why go to college? Like what was your reasoning there? Um, I don't know. Wasn't it really a choice? Um, Funny. Everyone says that too. I love that. Like it was like thinking back, like when we were going like, like especially coming from Seacon, it's a very college prep school. So like there really wasn't, choice it was like it's college or like people are going to look at you as like yeah yeah Yeah. no um but my grandfather was one of the um first now i'm just gonna yell at me if i screw this up 
18 men to come over to, well, you went to Canada first from the Azores back in, I don't know when it was, um, and like worked at PC, like met my Viva, the whole nine yards, but all throughout like my elementary school, high school, he was like, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to a good college. He would say that to my brother and I like, you're going to go to a good college. You're going to go to a good college. So it was like, ever since we were little, I was like, okay, we're going to college. We're going to a good college. And obviously like my mom waited to make it her dad proud. So it was like, yep, my kids are going to go to college. My kids are going to college. So yeah, like it wasn't really a choice, but like look, looking back when he passed away, I had just gotten my um, diploma and I like brought it over. I was like, look at, <laughs> so like a full circle moment, but yeah, no, wasn't really a choice, but college, getting to college was stressful, obviously. Um, I, Bridgewater was my number one school since I was a freshman in high school. Like I knew I wanted to be a teacher and I knew that they had the best program. So I was like, that's where I'm going. I had no interest in moving far away like you did had no interest of getting out of my comfort zone I was like that's where I'm gonna go nice and close to home um and I got like all my transcripts everything ready for like the early decision like I don't know when does that happen November I think yeah I'm sure so early um but one of our lovely guidance counselors never sent in my transcript so (laughs) love that (laughs) all of my to any of my schools, um, especially Bridgewater. So I didn't get in. I was like, or not, I didn't get in, but I was like, I haven't heard anything like I should have heard back by now. And when I asked, they were like, oh, we forgot to send it in. So then I had to send it in with like the rolling admissions. And then all of my friends that I went to high school with applied to Bridgewater as their backup school who like went to Harvard and Yale and all of that so obviously Bridgewater would want them so I didn't get into Bridgewater initially so then I was like what am I gonna do like that was my number one school and then I the feel lucky coach from eastern Connecticut emailed me and she was like we saw your um like you we saw you play we want you to like come in for an interview and that was literally in April Oh, I was damn. Like, shit <laughs> where am I gonna go to school like I was like I'll just go to Rick like I don't know but so I went in for an interview and funny enough one of like my very best friends she just got married last week played with her at Eastern we both were in the, like the lobby to have our college interview at the same time um and I got in at Eastern and I played feel lucky there for a year and a half. And then my dad was like, do you know how expensive that is? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's fine. I'm playing field hockey. I'm having some of my life. And then real life hit. And he told me how much I would have in student loans. And then I applied to Bridgewater <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> not going to make that as a teacher. And then that the reality, that's the craziest part, like that they don't tell you when you're applying to these schools, yeah. like they like, they go through it and like they go through it like in like an hour like class. It's like, hey, this is how much you're gonna pay, but look at all this great stuff here. Yeah. Like this is amazing. And it's yeah. like then you get the fr- like the bills and stuff. You're like, wait, how much do I owe? Like <laughs> yeah. and then they don't even break down 
the difference between like fixed and variable loans, like the interest rates. Like I'm like, dude, like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Cause I took, um, kind of like a, so my whole plan was I was going to go military that didn't plan out. So when I, that didn't plan out, I had to skip a semester cause all everyone went to school. So I was like, Whoa, what the fuck do I do now? When I was going to do community college, I wish I did good, but yeah. I, I believed in everyone's stereotype. Community college is shitty. Like and you're a bum if you go there. Yeah. And I, I believed people when in reality, you do that for two years, you transfer it, you get the same degree, like same yeah. piece of paper, you save so much money. Yeah. And I've said that throughout the podcast, and if there are any kids that do listen that are in like high school, like looking at that community college, you will save so much money. Yeah. Like you get Take the same. Please, like I'm begging you, if you're going to go to college, if you know what you're going to do, do it. But like, if you don't, community college will save you a lifetime. Yeah. But when I went to, I ended up going to UMass Dartmouth, um, and I thought about trying to play sports, and I'm like, I'm not the biggest dude, obviously. So like, I was like, I could try to like walk on and then I'm like, but do I really want to be like a tackling dummy and get brain damage even further? I'm like, probably not. So like, I'm not going to go football around. I was like, I'll just focus on school. And I think I went for criminal justice first, took like a class, a couple classes. I'm like, this ain't it. <laughs> and I decided to ultimately do business. I ended up doing accounting and I do accounting finance right now. And I'm so glad that I went that route because I, it taught me a lot about financial literacy and how to understand um, how a company works, how money works. And I'm in a great position because of that. But there is parts of me that I wish like I understood psychology more and I could have went yeah. like the therapy route because I think that's something that I find valuable. But I kind of do that in this podcast in a sense and I kind of get a little piece yeah. of that. So I kind of make up for it in some sense. Um, in terms of teaching, like, so was it always, that was always what you want to do is be a teacher? It. Always it. So talk a little bit about the process of becoming a teacher, because I know I've had some people on and like, it seems like it's kind of like a difficult path a little bit to try to, to, to become a teacher. <laughs> you might be talking to the number one person who's had the hardest start to become a teacher. <laughs> I guess this is perfect then. <laughs> um, so I obviously transferred to Bridgewater and... When I was at Eastern Connecticut, I was a double major, English and elementary ed. And then when I transferred to Bridgewater, it was the same thing. But nobody at Bridgewater told me how, like, the education program worked. Like, my advisor never met with them. Um, so by time I, like, I knew that I had to finish my second major first. So I was, like, my junior and senior year at Bridgewater were, like, full of like Shakespeare classes and it was like put a bullet in me right now <laughs> if I read another William Shakespeare I'll be fine um but so then I was like okay I'm done like how do I sign up for the education program and they were like okay so have you taken any MTELs yet and I was like what the hell is an MTEL <laughs> and they were like you can't get into the education program until you take them so I was like well what the hell so I took like a bunch of MTEL prep classes because I was like, I am the worst test taker in the world. Like my testing anxiety is through the roof. I'm getting like shivers right now just thinking <laughs> about it. Um, but I hadn't taken any MTELs before. So I took a bunch of like prep classes that Bridgewater had. Started taking them, fail, 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 like over and over and over again to the point where I 
had taken every MTEL prep class at Bridgewater and I had still consistently failed every single MTEL and I had over the amount of credits I needed to graduate. And I was taking like yoga classes and art classes at Bridgewater just to keep trying to take the MTELs. So I ultimately decided that I was just going to graduate with English because I was done and try to take the MTELs on my own because I was like, probably my parents were tired of paying MTEL prep courses at Bridgewater <laughs> when they weren't doing anything. Um, so I graduated with my bachelor's in English and I started just signing up for the MTELs and trying to take them without studying which in hindsight was a terrible idea. <laughs> but I, my like student loans never knew that I had transferred. So as soon as I graduated, my loans started from Eastern. Mm. So I had was working at the Department of Administration in Rhode Island as an intern while I was at Bridgewater since I was commuting. And once my loan started, a job, full-time job opened up. And once I got my first student loan payment, I was like, shit, I need a little bit more than just like an intern job. This is what my dad was talking about for, but this is just a year and a half. Um, so I got a job at the Department of Administration in Rhode Island and started paying my student loans. And then I was like excited about like how much money I was making doing that. So I stopped taking the MTELs for a little bit. And then I was getting, like, very comfortable in that job. And, like, my parents noticed. My boss was like, I'm going to chain you to the chair. You're doing such a great job. And, like, as soon as she said that, I was like, i got to get out of here. And, like, the friends that I had made there, they were like, this is not what you want to do. You don't want to sit in the cubicle for the rest of your life, Maria. And I was like, absolutely not. So I started taking MTEL classes up in Boston and I started passing the MTELs, but it's like, obviously still took a lot. Um, but once my boss told me that she was going to chain me to the chair, I started applying to teaching jobs because I was like, that just creeps me out. So I had one MTEL. Well, I still have one MTEL left, but I must've like, when I go onto like the MTEL website, I have taken the MTELs like 37 times and there's five of them <laughs> I have to pass to be a teacher um so I actually told my boss that I had a dentist appointment one day and I went to my current school for an interview and the principal offered me a job right on the spot and then the next day I was like um these are my two weeks and she was like <laughs> how was your dentist appointment yesterday I was like it's actually an interview <laughs> so sorry but um like, she knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I, had, like, told her that from day one that I worked there. So she ultimately let me go. Didn't chain me to the chair. But, no, it took – I worked there for five years before I started being a teacher. Yeah, so it's it, it's a lot to become a teacher. And yeah. I think that people don't understand the – kind of, like, the magnitude to become a teacher and how difficult it is and, like, how – I'll say underpaid teachers are, and especially since the COVID stuff came into play and like how much children need that face-to-face -face interaction, especially the younger children. Like I can't imagine how many children are going to be stunted because they didn't develop those social skills to recognize facial um, 
cues or how people talk or the emphasis. Like people don't, people miss out on that when it's like faces, like your face is covered. So talk a little bit about becoming a teacher and like what it's been like and like the, some of the things you may have learned and like teaching like young children, how that's kind of like had the, uh, like, like an impact on you. I love being a teacher literally more than anything in the entire world. My mom was a kindergarten teacher for 25 years. Um, so when I got the job, I like came home and she was like, how was your interview? And I was like, oh, it's good. Like I got the job. And like we both started immediately bawling um, because she was like, oh, my God, like you're taking after me. Like I can help you. Um, so that was awesome. Um, but no, obviously, like I work in New Bedford, so it's a lower income community but it's a charter school and like there needs to be more charter schools like unpopular opinion maybe but they do amazing things for these kids like my school is like such a safe space for so many kids um like when the pandemic happened there were teachers and like volunteers that were bringing lunches breakfasts lunches like people's houses that like have food like it's just it's it's amazing when people are like why don't you teach closer I'm like no I love what I do I love like the impact that I can make on these kids like being able to like see a pair of shoes on like Seekonk shares and like bring them to school and like the kids are like oh, are these mine and I'm like yeah those are for you they're like thank you Miss Simon thank you Miss Simon it's just I can do so much more than just like teach them like, and I have seen such a huge impact of COVID. So last year I was like, let me put myself into the school even more. I signed up to teach the level one L. So like kids that don't speak any English from the beginning of the school year. So when everybody else last year was learning or not last year, two school years ago, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when everybody else was like setting up their zoom classrooms and everything like I was in the classroom like in a school with 10 kids the part like glass partitions masks sanitizing everything like speaking with kids that like did not speak any English like I remember one little boy the first day came in he was like oh let me know right and he like said his name and I was like oh my god <laughs> like I don't speak any Spanish what did I get myself into and I was like Hi, <laughs> I'm Miss Iman. Um, so it's just like seeing now, like those kids actually noticed it at the end of this year. So many of them need glasses. So many of like the COVID, like pandemic kids that were learning online, their eyesight is so damaged from being on the computer learning. Like almost half of my class in their like nurse screeners needed glasses this year that were learning on the computer for two years. That's a crazy thing to even think about. I mean, you don't yeah. even think about that, no, I mean, I especially like, they're growing and all that stuff. So like, cause I remember the classic thing when I was growing up, it's like, stop staring at the TV, stop being so yeah. close to the TV or yeah. stop being so close to the computer. You don't even think about that. No, I know. I was like, oh my God, why are so like all of my kids coming with glasses? And like the nurse told me, I was like, she's like, these are the like pandemic kids. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like these are the kids that learned every single day looking at a computer screen. 
it's just such a crazy concept because like people's immediate thought process was elderly take care of the elderly but like my always like (laughs) unpopular opinion um we shouldn't like obviously you care for the elderly but like why are we pushing down the people who are going to be on this earth longer going forward like obviously those people's lives are precious you want them to live as long as they can but you're hurting the younger, like these young kids. Like, yeah. and I don't think people, I think they're going to realize relatively soon, especially with the stuff that you're talking yeah. about. Obviously you're talking about making a difference too. And I think that sounds really amazing that you are taking these steps to put yourself in situations where you're, especially teaching kids that don't know English. I mean, that's super uncomfortable, but like you're doing it out of just pure kindness and to make the fact of just making an impact on kids yeah, and giving back. And I don't think enough people are doing that No, So I give you a lot of credit for doing that. I want to take um, kind of like our, our final trek, unless you want to talk a little bit, something more about suiting students. Um, but I want to take a trek into kind of like your small business and talk about the blog and like the social media presence that you've created. Cause that is like one of the, the first things that when I look on social media, especially as being like a content creator, is like people who do something similar and trying to reach out and invite them on the podcast. So I was glad when you accepted the offer to come on. So talk to me a little bit about how you got into this space with like social media, blogging, creating a small business. Like what kind of started this? So I started my blog when I was um, working for the Department of Administration because it was like a tedious, like go in, do the same thing every single day. And I just felt like something was missing. I was like, not that I wasn't happy, but I was like, obviously my small business. I like make things with my hands. Um, I like being creative. I like doing things. I like, like making outfits or like DIY, like everything that I needed a spot to channel all of that. So that's like why I made my blog. I was like, I don't know, kind of like how you, the Carol connection, like life connection with everything. I was like, all right, I don't know. Like, I don't want to just dive into one specific thing. Like I want it to cover every single base possible. So I was like, all right, every day with Marina Tay, that works, it rhymes, whatever. Like I can do travel, fitness, whatever help like beauty anything um so I like decided to do that where I could like like share my outfits because growing up everybody would be like my mother always instilled with me she's like whenever you go out you never know who you're gonna meet so don't dress like a bum (laughs) go to the grocery store dress up you don't need to be in high heels but like don't look like you just rolled out of bed like sometimes when I see her she's like what have I always told you I'm like Sorry, mom, I couldn't today. <laughs> like, I'm trying my best. But so everybody growing up, they'd be like, oh, where'd you get that, Marina? Like, you look so cute. Where'd you go shopping? Like, or asking like friends being like, what should I wear to this wedding? That's like another thing that I love, but I could never like make a career out of it. Um, So blog that I could have that creative aspect for it. And then once the blog started, just the social media kind of just took off. Yeah. It's, it becomes too. one of those yeah. things where it's like, you have to like, yeah. and like, cause like, that was one of the, my thought process. I had someone tell, and I still might do this one day is try to make some type of blog or something like that. Um, therapy showed me journaling and 
how I look at blogging or how I would do my blogging is some form of therapy. And it seems like that's what it kind of is to a lot of people. It's like, it's a public journal almost for a lot of people. And like, I think that's super amazing because you're getting insight into like your thought process. And especially when you're talking about like do yourself stuff and like you're giving advice and like things that work for you. And that's exactly how I envision like this podcast is trying to give people a platform to kind of just talk about what they do and like in hopes of someone maybe tuning in or maybe just like a family member that wants to hear what you're up to and like what you've gone through because like sometimes conversations just can be awkward and you don't want to talk about personal stuff and like you don't think obviously it's just me and you talking here but like you like you don't think about the people who are going to see this essentially like they're not here so like I'm talking, I'm kind of like breaking this third wall almost where it's like there are people that are listening into yeah. like a private conversation technically. And it's it's such a unique aspect because we're living in a time where social media is is unfortunately, for better or worse, is a resume. So yeah. it's like kind of what do you want to put out there? Do you want to put out nothing? That's fine. Or you're gonna put out something. And if you're gonna put out something, unfortunately you're gonna be judged regardless. Yeah. So like you, we kind of live in this comparative state and I don't know if you struggle with this at all, but I definitely struggled early on as like comparison. Always. So I definitely have learned to kind of let go of that comparison because like it's, it's not good. It can be motivating. I've learned that healthy competition is good. Yeah. But comparison, it it can be very negative. Um, I want to dive into more with this about the social media content and kind of like getting yourself out there like obviously you entered into social media i'm assuming the blog kind of led its own path and then social media kind of followed after that correct yeah so how did you kind of feel about posting this stuff because i know when i first posted the podcast i was so nervous what people would think and if they would judge so curious to hear your thoughts on no that. i definitely felt the same way like about honestly mostly family like my god how is like my aunt gonna think about this like but I don't know. Something just clicked where I was like, who cares? Like, it's me. This is my life. Who like tomorrow's not guaranteed. So I'm just gonna, just gonna do it. But I definitely did like the first, I'd have to say like probably the first six months of like posting an outfit or like, I don't know, just anything on social media. I would like literally look at like the post button for so long be like, Mm, no (laughs) like go back and forth and then ultimately I would like do it and I would just like put my phone to the side like couldn't look to see if anybody was liking it or commenting or like texting anything like thinking about like what my friends from home would think it was just it is like it's nerve-wracking to put yourself out there but I guess like I did ultimately not care what other people thought And just, I did it for me because it made me happy. I think that's like the exact mindset that you need to have when you're making social media content is like, and I think it's like a, I think it's like a defense mechanism almost from like our, our brains hardwiring to be like, don't do this. You're going to, you're going to face like, you're going to be a social outcast or some crazy (laughs) thing when like reality, I've learned that most people don't care. Like most people don't even care anyways. Like when I created the podcast, one of the most eye opening things was like, you think people are going to rally behind it to a certain extent and then they don't. And it's like, okay, how do I do this? And TikTok, and I talked to you a little bit about my TikTok page. I'm very open about my TikTok page on my, on my podcast. 
that platform allowed me to break down a ton of barriers. Like obviously posting a podcast on Instagram with just the audio was something that I had to overcome. Hearing my voice, like getting a little cringy at like some <laughs> of the shit that I was saying, like how I was asking questions, talking too much. But I had to figure out my own kind of like funny to use this word, but swagger. You got to figure yeah. out like what's like, what, how do you got to learn to find your voice? Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing with social media is like, you got to get back to that authentic you. And a lot of the times that authentic you is kind of who you were as a kid. Yeah. It's just being creative. And you probably see this a lot with teaching is like how creative and full of life these children are. And I think that if more people saw that on a daily basis, I think they could probably be more inspired to be more active in their life, whether it's being closer with family or friends or creating a, a small business that they enjoy or doing a podcast, starting a YouTube channel, whatever it is, if they saw the way kids acted with each other. Yeah. And I think that's that's a huge thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you stepped into the social media space and that you're sharing a lot that you have. And I'm a huge supporter. You guys will have to check it out. I'm going to tag her in everything. <laughs> like I love, especially when you post, like you'll post from TikTok and then you also will share it on too, on, cause I don't follow you on TikTok, but I obviously follow you on Instagram and like you share those and you're doing, whether it's your outfits or whether it's something fitness related or even when you talk, you, I've seen you share some stuff with your brother doing fitness stuff. And I think that's so awesome. It's like a, it's like a collaboration of a certain, to a certain extent and like combining audiences. And that's what I think about this is like, you have your audience and I have mine and we're just bringing it together yeah. into, and I use it as like a spotlight for you. Cause I want people to see my guest and see what they're about and yeah. hear your story. And I think, what you're doing is amazing. I love the fact that you're teaching and you're helping today's like children. I think it's like an amazing thing. And Thank you. I want to start bringing us home to home base with the podcast. We're coming towards our, our the final stretch and the final question. Uh, is there anything that you didn't get a chance to say that you want to say before I get dive into this? No. All right. Perfect. So um, last question for you, like I, I mentioned <laughs> was what is your advice for some for someone who wants to pursue their passion? Now you told me don't say just do it. <laughs> um, but I think you just have to put aside what you think people are going to think about you aside and think about is this something that like fills my cup? Um, and if it does, then, and if it's like a feasible, like goal start small. Um, you know, like when I started my small business, I was like so mortified to do that. Um, but I knew it was something that I was going to like be happy with. And it wasn't just going to be like a one year thing. Like it was going to hopefully be like long-term and I like set long-term goals for it. Um, but I think like, starting small but having those goals and hoping that they're achievable and like having a support group which obviously was my family like (laughs) dad built things for me um having people in your corner that are gonna like push you to be the greatest you can be is like important but sharing if you have a passion like sharing that with others and then I felt like that held me accountable to get after it so I think that's perfect. I've had a blast catching up with you and talking on this podcast. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your story with me. 
like I always say, anyone who sits across from me and does a podcast always has my respect. And I just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for asking. This is so much fun. Glad that you enjoyed it. For you guys, if you guys like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, share with your family, share with your grandma. You can check it out at thecarolconnection.simplecast.com. Also available Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. So until next time, guys, peace. <laughs> <laughs>